are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. It's good to see y'all this morning as we are in our third week of Advent. We lit the pink candle. Today is often called Gaudete is the Latin. That means rejoice ye or rejoice. Drop the ye, just rejoice. And so we talk about joy. Uh, What do these items have in common? See if you know. Bubble wrap, the microwave oven, super glue, and chocolate chip cookies. There's a commonality in all of them. Nobody knows. That's right. Because these are all inventions that happen by accident. That the inventor or the creator didn't intend to create chocolate chip cookies or bubble wrap, but they did. So the guys that did bubble wrap were trying to make a wallpaper for hippies. And it just didn't work out. So they, they tried to create something. They tried to figure out what they're going to use it for. And UPS is like, we'll take that. And so now you use bubble wrap, right? Uh, that's where bubble wrap came from. The uh, super glue, there was a man in the 40s that was trying to create a new site for rifles for the soldiers, and they created this compound that was so sticky that it wouldn't work for sites, but now we have, you know, Gorilla Glue and all these other things. It was by accident. The chocolate chip cookie lady, was, uh, she ran out of chocolate, and so, and her name was, I wrote it down, uh, Ruth Wakefield, and she was the owner of the Toll House Inn. So you see where this is going, right? Uh, so she, she thought, oh, I'll just put, I have a few chocolate pieces. I'll, I'll put it in the dough and it'll melt into the cookie dough and it'll, it'll create, you know, chocolate cookies. It didn't melt, but now we have uh, Chips Ahoy because of her. So thank you, Ruth. And then the guy that created the microwave was actually working on something called a magnetron vacuum tube, which probably some of you engineers know what that is. I have no clue. But he had a candy bar in his pocket and it started to melt. He's like, that's weird. He probably is dead of radiation by now, but uh, he, then he tried it. He's like, wow, that's weird. So he, then he did popcorn. He put popcorn in this thing and it started popping. And thus, now we have the microwave oven. Now, it took 20 years to get it shrunk down. The original microwave was 750 pounds. And so that you couldn't really put that in your, on your counter. But 20 years later, the microwave oven. But all inventions that were created by accident Accidental creations. And today, the song that we're going to look at is actually the same way. It's an accidental Christmas carol. The writer did not intend to write a new Christmas song. But through time and through different circumstances, it has become one of our most beloved Christmas carols that we sing this time of year. If you're a guest, what we've been doing is in this Advent season, every week we're kind of evaluating and looking at one of these Christmas carols that we sing so that we understand what they are about and and what they're pointing us to because there's a theme for Advent each week. And so week one, we talked about hope and we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, a song that, that points to the hope of the return of the Messiah. And then last week, we looked at peace through the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The angels say peace on earth. And so where does peace come from? Peace comes from a right relationship with God, which then reflects itself in our horizontal relationships. And today we are going to talk about joy. And I guess there's no greater song about joy than our carol, what? Joy to the world, which is actually not a Christmas carol, but it is a great Advent carol. Because remember, Advent is about looking back at the first coming in anticipation for what? The second coming, the, the arrival of the Messiah. And this song doesn't sing about Jesus' first coming. It actually is about his second coming. And it points us to joy. 
to joy. Why do we have joy today? And there's, there is a already not yet tension that we live in, right? That, that Christ has done these things and he will, but we live in the muck and the mess. And joy is often, it's elusive. And, and in some of your lives right now, there's, there's not a lot of joy. Christmas is a great time for all the 12-year-olds who are getting their presents, but it's challenging for some of us who have lost somebody or it's just been a rough year or there's sickness or there's whatever and, and joy seems like it's, it's not, not, I can't get it. And so this carol and the scriptures are gonna point us to, now where is the ultimate source of joy? How can we have joy? Because joy cannot be determined by our circumstances. It can't be because James, the brother of Jesus says, we're considerate joy when we encounter what? Trials. How is that? How is that possible? It's only possible if joy is not dependent on circumstances. And so this carol is gonna remind us of, of four reasons, one from each verse of the carol, why we as God's people, in anticipation of his arrival, have joy. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. But I'm gonna give you a little background on the carol because it's interesting. Reading about some of these, these men and women have gone ahead of us has been, it's really educational to me. This carol is written by a man, famous name, Isaac Watts. There's old Isaac there. Um, lived in the 1700s, late 1600s, and from an early age, super smart, mastered multiple languages, and from an early age, he showed a propensity towards rhyme and poetry. He would have been a rapper if he lived today, but back then he wrote poems. Um, but even from an early age, so there's one occasion in reading about his life, he was a young boy, and he got caught during family prayer time opening his eyes. A no-no in all Baptist circles, right? You don't open your eyes during prayer, even though the scripture never says to close your eyes during prayer, but that's another story. But he opened his eyes and his dad rebuked him and asked him, why are you opening his eyes? And he responded in poem, a little mouse for one of stairs ran up the rope to say its prayers. And his dad then threatened to spank him. And he said, oh, father, father, pity take, and I will no more verses make. Okay, so early, he was a smart aleck from a young age and he had gifts for rhymes. And he was so good that his mother actually believed that he was plagiarizing poetry because he was so good. And so she said one time, she put a piece of paper and a pencil on the, pa- on the table and said, all right, write me a poem then. And he sat down at, the story goes, seven years old and wrote this poem, which is very deep for a seven-year-old, for a 70-year-old. I am a vile, polluted lump of earth. So I continued since my birth, although Jehovah grace does daily give me, as sure this monster Satan will deceive me. I mean, this is like seven years old. This is like first grade, y'all. But, but here's what's even more amazing about this. Look at the, the first letter of each line. I-S-A-A-C-W-A. He, it's an acrostic of his name. He wrote this. So at an early age, the guy is a genius, right? Seven years old. He grows up in his 20s. He goes into the ministry. He actually has a little, uh, 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 he's got a little girlfriend who they never met, but they fall in love through, through letters and she loved his poetry and the story goes that she first meets him and then leaves because he's so ugly and she won't marry him. I know, isn't that sad? In fact, she actually wrote, and I, I, she wrote this, this is horrible. She said she liked the jewel but not the case that held it. <laughs> Sweet girl. So, so old Isaac, Isaac ends up as a bachelor to the rapture. He never gets married, which is... Great for us because he was a faithful minister. He's, he's called the father of English hymnody, wrote over 700 hymns. When I survey the wonder's cross, alas, and did my savior bleed, our God, our help in ages past. So some famous hymns that he wrote. In 1719, he published a book 
It didn't catch on real good because its title was super long. Here's a picture of it. I actually found a picture of it. This is like the 14th edition that, if you can't see it, it was actually printed by Benjamin Franklin himself. But the book was called The Psalms of David, Initiated in the Language of the New Testament and Applied to the Christian State of Worship. Okay, you're not gonna find it on Amazon. It's not a bestseller. But here's what he did. Isaac lived in a time where churches were just very, they really sad and depressing seeming. All they did was sing the Psalter, which is not bad per se, but the, the, the songs in the church were just, they opened the Psalms and they sang it to uh, some sort of tune. And he noticed that there was no joy in the churches, that everyone's just, right? And so he, he complained about this and his dad said, well, Isaac, why don't you do something about it? And so he did. He started writing new songs that, that connected the heart to the mind. He wanted the emotional part of this. And so this book of poems that he wrote, what he did is he took every psalm and he wrote a poem that was a summary of that poem in light of what the New Testament teaches. And for Psalm 98, he entitled his poem, Joy to the World. And then he put it to a common tune, never really caught on until 100 years later, a man kind of hijacked a little bit of Handel's Messiah and he connected a new tune to it. And because Handel's Messiah is tied to Christmas, this song, Joy to the World, became a Christmas carol. Even though when we, we see the lyrics and we see the psalm that it's based on has nothing to do with the birth of Christ, has everything to do with the return of Christ. But it's, it's a great Advent song. And so you have this, this song, this poem written by the Chris Tomlin, the, the ugly Chris Tomlin of his day, and it's connected 100 years later to this tune that's connected to Christmas, and we have an accidental classic. And so let's jump into the, the text of it, and, and we're going to see how it points us to joy, how Mr. Watts and how the psalmist and how God himself wants us to have joy. So verse one, the most famous of the verses, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And this is a summary of, of verses really uh, five, six, and seven of, of Psalm 98. Let me read it to you. Or actually, verse four, starting, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre and with lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king. And who is the king? Notice the phrase, the Lord, Yahweh. And so this is, this is not a song about Jesus' first coming because uh, think about it. He even says in the song, I'll go back to the lyrics so you can see it. The earth receive her king. He wasn't received this first time. He was rejected. Even the wording, the Lord is come, not the Lord has come, the Lord is come. This is a look at the future that Psalm 98 talks about of the return of Jesus, the king, God, the king. And he says, rejoice at that. There should be joy, why? Because God is coming and God is your king. And so the first reason we have joy this morning, very simply, is we know that Jesus is king, that he is king. There is a joy in knowing that God is king. How many of us are so glad that election season is over? I don't have seven pounds of mail from Herschel and Ralph every day. I don't get text messages from Herschel. Hey, you know, it's election. We have a little bit of a hiatus for about a year. But, but election cycle, all these people, these men and women are promising all these things. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. Oh, this guy's going to do this for you. So come, come vote for me. And they're trying to appeal to you, telling you basically, I will make you happy. 
I'll give you what you want. That guy won't. And there's a false assumption that joy comes from getting what I want. If I get what I want, then I'll be happy. But that's, but that's not what, what Jesus teaches. That's not what he says. Here's what he says. Here is Jesus, the, the son of God, telling us how do we have joy. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full, complete. And so the Lord Jesus is saying, here's how you have joy. Abide in my love. And here's how you abide in my love. Follow what I say. In essence, recognize that I am king and that if you follow me, the king, you will abide in my love. And when you abide in my love, you will have joy. Despite what's going on out there, you will have my joy if you abide in my love. See, joy is not as much a feeling as it is in a person. And it's kind of one of those elusive things. If if I asked you to define joy, I mean, we would probably say happy and there's all those sorts of things. But I gave you this definition a few years ago and and I think it's helpful that joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, even if it's chaos. That joy is the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. Joy is the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That comes from Christ and Christ alone. And you can have that when we recognize that he is king. Even now, like where is, think about where is Jesus right now? It's not a trick question. He is seated at the right hand of the father. The psalmist says it, the gospel of Matthew says it, the writer of Hebrews says, the Lord says to Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So right now, Jesus, the king, is seated at the right hand of the father until the father says, all right, go. Get your kingdom, get your church. Return to the earth. This is the, the, what's called the blessed hope. Titus says we are waiting for this. Paul says to Titus, the appearing of our glory, of our great God and Savior. This is what the psalmist is writing about. This is where joy will be complete. But in that time, we can still have joy as we recognize God as king. And here's why. Because we know what happens in the end. We know where he's, where he's gonna be, what he's gonna do, how he's gonna rule. Some of you right now are very nervous for December 31st because you didn't wanna play Ohio State. You wanted TCU in the first round. And so you're a little nervous. I mean, you should win the game, but you're like, Ugh. if I could somehow get in my... DeLorean with my flux capacitor and my 1.21 gigawatts, and I could go back to the future. I could see what the final score is. I could come back and say, it's okay. George is gonna win the game, 31 to 24. I, I know for a fact, I was there, I saw it. See, what happens then is when you're watching that game and Stetson throws the interception, because he will throw the interception, and there's a three now, and then there's a Kirby flipping out on the sideline. See, if you know the end of the game, if you know the score, you can relax in the middle of the chaos. He was like, oh, it's all right. That's not gonna come back. We're gonna be okay. Because you know the end of the game. And what prophecy and the scripture, the Old Testament prophecy, they're telling you the final score. Jesus wins. So if you fumble the ball, it's okay. And, and this is important because life is filled with chaos, with fumbles, with interceptions, with struggle, with loss. That's real loss. 
and trouble. That's real trouble. And depression and anxiety and cancer and, and sickness. So how do we have joy? Because we know the final score. Because Jesus is the king. And this is why joy is the third week and not the first week, because it starts with hope. Gotta have hope in something. And then I have to have peace with God so that I know that I have joy in the Lord. And so the song says he is king, but then what it, it tells you how to respond to the king, doesn't it? This is what? Let every heart prepare him room. Prepare him room. Have you prepared the king room? Some of you over the holidays, you're gonna have guests come in and you're gonna do what? You're gonna prepare a literal room, right? And you're gonna clean the sheets and you know, vacuum and you'll put a little, you know, if you're, you're creative, the little Christmas soaps or something, you'll do something, right? Something creative and nice and put a little tree in the room. I don't know. But there's gonna be some intentionality, right? There might even be some sacrifice. One of your kids, okay, kids, grandma's coming to town. You're in the room with your brother. Somebody's out. There's gonna be sacrifice. There's gonna be intentionality. There's gonna be forethought because you're preparing room for somebody, a literal room. But the psalmist and, the, uh, and Isaac says, are you preparing him room? Do you, is there room in the inn? so to speak, for the king? Is there room this season in the middle of chaos and Christmas presents and football and blah, blah, blah? Have you thought with intentionality of the king? And that's what the song is reminding you. You want joy? Prepare him room. That's where joy comes. Joy comes from abiding. And so the apostle John, he tells us, abide in Christ so that when he returns, you will not shrink away in his coming because you've prepared him room. And so the challenge and the reminder of the song is what? Prepare the king room. Because that's where joy is. Joy doesn't come from getting what you want. Joy comes from abiding in his love and following the king. That's the first verse. Second verse, joy to the earth, the savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. And this is a summary of, of verses seven and eight that just say, let the sea roar, all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. But he says, joy this time to the earth, not the king, but the savior. That there is joy in a savior, right? That's, that's your second source of joy. There is joy in a savior. This is the angel's announcement to the shepherds. I bring you good news of what? Great joy that shall be for all the people. What is the great news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior, who is Christ the Lord. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, Gabriel visits and says, okay, you're gonna have a boy. It's gonna be Jesus. He sees a 14, 15-year-old girl unmarried, and she's like, whatever God says. And she runs to her cousin Elizabeth, and she breaks out in what we call the Magnificent, the song, and she says, my soul rejoices in what? God, my savior. Which shows, by the way, that Mary was not sinless. I actually read an uh, article this week from Pope Francis. He said in this, his last sermon, Mary the only, is the only human being in, in human history without sin. She is with us in battle. She is our sister and above all our mother. And he is wrong. Mary was a sinner and needed a savior. She was a good, godly woman, but she was not perfect. And she rejoiced at her son, 
who would be her savior. But the point is this, there is something that joyful about having a savior, but you only get joy out of it if you recognize that you need a savior. If you don't see your need for a savior, then you won't rejoice. It's like when Clint a few weeks ago preached the the parable of the guy who owed 10,000 talents, amount that he could never pay. It's billions and billions of dollars, the equivalent in modern day. And he has that debt forgiven and he runs off not joyful. He runs off mad because this dude owes him 50K right? And, and that's, that's where I think some of us are. Yeah, God forgave us, but I need to get justice because that person didn't make the light on Duran. We're so angry about whatever, about little things that we forget. You were an enemy of God and he calls you his daughter and son, that you had no future and no hope. And now you have everlasting delight in a savior who reigns. Again, joy to the earth, the savior reigns. Think about that word reigns. I had to look it up this week, just, to, just dictionary.com. It means to have authority, to have sovereign rule. That you have a ruler, but he's also a savior. So we, we elect folks that promise all these things and well, I'm gonna do this for you and do this for you. And what ends up happening is they go up to DC or wherever and they just serve themselves. They take care of themselves. But Jesus is completely unique in that he is the only rightful king and yet he gives up all his rights for us who have rejected him. And he knew we would do it. He knows the mess that you have made in your life and the mess you're gonna make. And he still draws near to you. That's the kind of savior he is. Every other religion of the world is what you can do to get to God. Go to church, be nice, give money, try to climb the ladder to get to God and you can never do it. And so the savior who has authority and rule and power, he empties himself and he becomes one of us so that you could enjoy him forever, forever. And he is for your joy. I don't think Christians believe this. Jesus is for your joy. Do you believe this? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Jesus was Joyful doesn't mean it's always everything's perfect, but he had joy and he is pro joy. And he says, there is joy in me as king. There is joy as having me as savior. And so what is the response? What is the response? Let men their song employ. You're like, what does that mean? It means sing people. That's what it means. It's a fancy way of saying sing. You sing. The response to this is to sing. I told you first week, Christians are a singing group of people. And if you don't want to sing, then don't be a Christian because Christians sing. God sings. The angels, we think, sing. His people sing, right, as a response. And so when we sing joy to the world, better be joy to the world. You sing. Whether you're good or bad, you sing because it's a response to having a king and to having a savior. Verse three. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far higher as the curse is found. This is the gardening verse, right? You're like, what does this have to do with anything? It's not actually in the psalm, but the idea here is what happened when, when Adam and Eve sinned? All of creation fell, right? Remember God says, okay, snake, you're gonna be cursed 
Women, you're gonna be cursed. Men, you're gonna be cursed. Why? Because sin entered in the world. God created this perfect world, this perfect garden, this perfect everything, and sin has, has corrupted it. And what this verse reminds us of is that when the king returns, he reverses the curse. This curse is, is removed. That God is gonna hit a reset. Remember, for those who grew up in the, the 90s, remember the old Nintendo cartridges and they freeze, right? And you have to take that thing out and what do you have to do? You have to blow in it real hard and then you put it in and you reset and it started over. That when Jesus returns, he's hitting reset on this whole deal. And then all the pain and all the suffering and all the cancer and all the disappointment and all the, the, the injustice will be removed. And so when you work in the kingdom and you will work in the kingdom, you're not gonna sit on a cloud playing your harp, hark the hell, you know, you're not gonna do that. You're gonna work and you're gonna rejoice and you're gonna eat and you're gonna celebrate and you're gonna have relationship and there's gonna be no pain and no suffering. It's gonna be as it was intended, Genesis chapter two, perfect forever, right? That's where it's going. And, and for us, the hope is, man, Jesus removes the pain. He will wipe away every tear um, because right now, the creation groans. Look at the end of the verse. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Why? Because, because every time a lion eats that wildebeest and you watch it on National Graphic, it's brutal. That's the creation groaning. It's not how it's supposed to be. The wildebeest ain't supposed to get taken out like that, right? And so let me, let me read where this thing is going because I think it's important. Uh, you know, I don't have the slides here, but I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 11, just the first few verses. This is where it's going. And Isaiah has tons of prophecies about the kingdom, but just listen to just some of the, what's going to take place. And we looked at this when we looked at O Come, Come Emmanuel because the first verse is about the rod of Jesse or the root of Jesse. A, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And you go down, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness, the belt of his loins. This is Christ at his return. And here's the result. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. You got the cows, the little calves and the bears and they're playing. It's like the little children's books. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Why? Because there's no more danger. There's no more death. There's no more pain. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, Jesus of Nazareth, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations acquire and his resting place shall be glorious. That's where it's all going. Colossians 1, he reconciled all things, all things to himself through his blood. And that is where it's going. The curse is reversed. And I know it's challenging right now in the midst of divorce, death, 
depression, all the Ds, whatever. But this is where it's going. This is what Jesus has done and this is what he will do when he returns. And then the final verse summarizes that. He rules the world with truth and grace and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And this is a reference to Psalm 98.9, the last verse in the Psalm that Watts was summarizing. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Here's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus will return. We'll see this in Matthew 23 and 24 in a couple weeks. That Jesus will return. He will separate the goats from the sheep. Right, The goats will go into judgment and the sheep will come into his kingdom and he will rule and reign over a non-cursed earth where people will work and enjoy one another and have relationships with one another and you will literally see, this is not like some, oh, Jesus is in heaven. Jesus will be seated on the throne in the city of Jerusalem, six guys on his right, six guys on his left, his disciples. You will see that and he will judge the earth. And we think of judge. Judge for us has a negative connotation, right? You gotta go, go before the judge, you know, judge Judy or judge somebody, right? And it's negative. But this is not negative because he rules with truth and grace, which is what John's gospel says that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? The Lord Jesus. And he will make the nations prove. It's a great line that Watts is saying, we will spend eternity proving God's love, showing his love, glorifying his name, his righteousness, right? That will be the focal point of the nations, right? That we will be declaring and proclaiming and glorifying God. It's interesting, I don't know how many of you have been keeping up with the World Cup. Not a soccer guy, I've made this very clear uh, to most of you. But during the World Cup, I will watch because it's the biggest sporting event in the world. And it is fascinating to see these nations like just weeping or rejoicing over a game where you kick a ball into a net rarely, right? Because it's usually like zero, zero after four hours of playing. It's exciting, right? But you know, to see the Brits today, our English brothers and sisters, man, they got smoked by the French, their mortal enemies yesterday. And to see the just, they're just sorrow. Because their nation, it's like they went to war and they lost because 11 dudes run around for an hour and a half kicking a ball, couldn't get into a net, all right? But there's this idea of national pride, right? They got their flags and their woo, you know, all this stuff. And, and, here, and there's nothing wrong with national pride. I lived in the country of Texas for three years and it is a country, it's not a state, just so you're clear. And it, there's a pride about being Texan. And it, quite honestly, it was great. But you know what will not happen in the kingdom when Jesus is ruling and reigning on the throne? You know what song will never be sung ever again? I'm proud to be an American, or at least, that song is not sung in the kingdom. Great song. July 4th, it's great. It's not sung in the kingdom because in the kingdom, everybody, every nation, every tribe, every race, every ethnicity will be pointing to one thing, Jesus, the son of God. We'll be glorifying him in everything we do, right? Your work, your relationships. And here, here's the, the, the piece for us today. You're like, that'll be great. But what about now? You can do that now. 
there's a tension again, like I said earlier, there's a little bit of already, but not yet, but you right now could have joy in pointing and revealing the glory of God. Like last night we went to a wedding and we celebrated and we danced two people who, who love Jesus, who got married together. And, and that is a celebratory thing. That is a glorifying God thing. It is glorifying God to get on the dance floor to Mama Mia and dance because these people who love Jesus are now married. It's a celebratory thing. It's a little piece of the kingdom. I know you think the, you know, that God is anti-celebration. Read the Bible. The Bible is pro-celebration. And to celebrate something that is good and godly, like a marriage, is just a small little taste of what it will be like in the kingdom. We will feast in the kingdom. And you will not have to worry about blood pressure, cholesterol, anything. You will feast and enjoy the things God has created. You will enjoy relationships with no hindrances anymore. You will laugh. You will find joy. You will work and find delight in work and you will glorify God. But you can do those things now, can't you? Can't you go to work tomorrow and do all things with excellence and in a small way reveal the glory of God in work? Can't you forgive somebody of something that, that even maybe they haven't even asked for forgiveness and that in a small way glorifies God because you're, you're following in the path of God who forgives? Can't you sacrifice yourself and love unconditionally like God has done? Yes, this is what God wants now. We're, to br- we're not bringing in the kingdom, but we're to live like we're in the kingdom. This is Matthew five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, the, uh, the hunger, hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we're gonna be doing now in a small way that will be amplified a thousandfold in the kingdom. Your job right now is to let your light shine in such a way that you glorify God who's in heaven. That's the job of the church, to have joy. When you have joy in the middle of just chaos, that, that brings glory to God and it reveals the glory of God. It reveals that your hope is not in this. It's in a king and a savior and one who reverses the curse. And this is what God wants for us. So Jesus says before he's handed over to the Pharisees, this is his high priestly prayer. He's talking to the father. He says, now, father, I'm coming to you. And, and the things I speak in the world I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled. See, Jesus' joy can be have even when he's leaving. Why? Because he promises his spirit, his helper, being filled with the spirit results in love, peace from last week, and joy. He is for your joy. He is for it now. Where does it come from? Knowing he is king, knowing he is savior, knowing he will reverse the curse, and in revealing his glory to the nations. That is our job, and that is where joy comes. So I'll encourage you today, prepare him room. Let men their songs and women their songs employ. We had one little girl first service when we were singing a song. She had the joy of the Lord. She was jamming it out over here and it was awesome, right? And she's like six. So if, if little six-year-old can let her song employ, then you can let your song employ too. But I just, just wanna remind you, I know this season is challenging for some of you. We get it. It is, but you can still have joy because you have a God who rules and reigns. You have a God who is sovereign and he saved you and he met you in your greatest need and he will walk with you through it. He will walk in the valley of the shadow of death with you. He knows what it is. He is a high priest who has suffered in all ways yet without sin. And so he draws near to his people, especially in their need. So you can find joy in this, in this season and him and in him alone.
And so that's our prayer for you. So let, let me pray, and then we will we'll mend their songs employ together. Father, I thank you for you being our source of joy, even when the world uh, seems to be falling away, falling apart, that you bring joy, that you bring love, that you bring peace, that you bring hope. And that we, this, this short season of life, it may seem long, but it is so short and brief in light of eternity. Uh, that we, your church, want to have confidence when you return. We don't want to shrink away, so we want to abide in your love. And so I pray for someone in this room that doesn't have any joy right now because they're just, they're just overwhelmed. Give them peace, Lord. Draw near to them. Uh, remind them that it will be okay, that there is a a steadiness and a confidence in what you have done and what you are doing. And that one day you will wipe away every tear. We know the final score. We know you win and that you will rule and reign forever. And so we long for that day. Uh, and we pray as the early church did, even so come Lord Jesus, Maranatha Lord, come quickly. It's in your name we pray, amen. You guys can stand as we sing.